0: Welcome to Relationship University. My name is Natalie Bloom, therapist and counselor specializing in young professionals. Each episode, you'll hear uncommon conversations with real people and take away psychological insights and tools to strengthen your relationship to dating, friendships, partners, and work. But most importantly, improving the relationship you have to yourself. Thanks so much for joining me, and let's get it started. In today's episode, I'll be talking to my therapist friend, Leora, who will give us an inside look at what it's like to be in a relationship with a therapist. Leora is an Australian and a therapist working in the San Francisco Bay Area and seeing clients all over California. Humor is what sets her apart from a lot of the therapists I know, and also one of the reasons she's really fun to be around. So let's get her going. I really hope you love listening and learning from the podcast. And the podcast is not meant to be actual therapy or a substitute for a relationship with a mental health provider here with Leora. <laughs> and so I wanted to start off by sharing with you some things that I really love about you and how you've made an impact on me. You, you have such a sparkly personality and you're so vivacious, which stands out to me because a lot of therapists don't have that kind of like vivacious, full of life, sparkly presence. And for me, that's really important to have to kind of have this like real, like vivacious, lively presence in therapy because I think that like therapy and growth and depth doesn't have to be independent of that. And you just are this magnetic soul, even though you you are technically a therapist in training. Like your your wisdom comes through, and your wisdom is not like a quiet wisdom or a boring wisdom. You're vibrant but you're also really deep. And that combination is really rare.
1: Wow, what an introduction. Firstly, thank you. That is amazing to hear. And I feel like I just need to take a minute to kind of absorb all of that. Um, I am just really taken by that. And actually, it reminds me when I was in school, in grad school, one of my professors pulled me aside and was like, you're an extrovert. And I was like, "Uh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> and they said to me, I think we should talk about it because there aren't many extroverts in this field. And I want you to know, like, she was phenomenal. And she said to me, I want you to know that I'm always here. But also, I feel like you should really pay attention to that and think about how that will help you in your work. And that conversation has stuck with me um, because I think it is really important to have fun in therapy. Therapy doesn't always have to be this heavy thing thing where we're like trudging through the mud trudging through the mud i think it's really important that we can be ourselves and have a bit of fun mm-hmm. and remember that fun is also a way to get to our real selves
0: could you tell us a little bit about the populations that you work with and and what that's been like for you
1: for sure Um, So I started off my training at HAPS, which is where we met. HAPS is a low-income program for folks living in San Francisco who don't qualify for free services but aren't in the income bracket to be able to afford therapy, which is pretty expensive here in the Bay Area. So I was there for, I want to say, two and a half years. I started off as a volunteer and then I became an intern and then I stayed on a little bit extra in my internship because I love my clients so much uh toward the end of that i transitioned over to working at a different facility part of the aids foundation the san francisco aids foundation um and that is called the stonewall project which is a program a low threshold program for gay bi, and trans men it's a triple diagnosis program which means there were folks with mental illness hiv and primarily what we were addressing was substance use so i worked with folks who associated as men with all types of substance use uh, and it's a harm reduction program which means the approach is helping folks understand that the reason substances are causing problem in their lives is what we're addressing as against the fact that substances are a blanket problem because we all use substances they come into our lives in different ways and this is saying substances aren't the problem actually there's probably a whole bunch of things going on in your life which are causing you to want to retreat and turn to substances and we're trying to address those underlying things. And help folks understand that in order to get help, they don't have to completely leave substances out of their life. Because again, for a lot of folks, it's the only good thing that's going on. So we don't just want to rip away that defense. Um, So I was there for three years in total. And then about a year ago, I started my private practice. And this year with the pandemic, there was a whole lot going on and I actually transitioned to private practice full time. So in my private practice, I still do a lot of harm reduction substance use work. And I love seeing couples. That's my favorite part of my practice. So currently I'm seeing couples in a whole range of ages, dealing with a whole range of issues from substance use to infidelity, to just trying to lay the groundwork for a better relationship, to sex issues, anything and everything.
0: That's amazing. So you, you have a lot of different experience with different, different people from all walks of life. And so I'm wondering for you, if there has been some pain in your life that has led you to want to meet people in their pain and and struggles.
1: So the easy answer is yes. And I I feel like I don't know, unfortunately, too many people who would say they don't have pain in their life on some level. But honestly, I want to say yes, and because I've definitely had hardships along the way. I've definitely experienced difficulty. There's, you know, obviously some family stuff that comes up. My family is really amazing and I don't want to bash them too much here. Yeah, But the truth is the reason that I got into therapy is because my parents have a really beautiful, happy marriage mm. and me and my two younger brothers from quite a young age got into relationships that ended up being long-term relationships. And I look at all of them and they're really happy, healthy relationships. They're not necessarily all the relationship that I want, but, you know, for me and each of my brothers, we're all in the relationships that we want to be in. And so I realized pretty early that that is directly attributed to my parents' relationship. And I wanted to create a world where there was more of those relationships in it. Um, so I, I was told actually also when I first started out by one of my other professors that they were like, yeah, that's not why people do this work. mm but the truth is that's that's why I do this work. There's also a lot of mental health in my family. sorry, mental health problems in my family that we don't talk about in more, my extended family. And I really want to help people understand that and be able to talk about it. Because as you know, we need to. That's where healing happens. So definitely the mental health side of things. But honestly, primarily, it's because I feel like I really understand the impact that positive relationships can have. And I want to create a world where there's more of those.
0: I would love to learn what a great relationship can look like. I mean, this is a fun topic to dig into. <laughs> and mean, also, like and you're also in a relationship right
1: now. I am
0: have a I mean, quite
1: a long-standing relationship. Yeah, next year uh, will be 15 years that we've been together.
0: What have you seen and learned about that makes a relationship? really great. And also you've been in a relationship as well, and you have a, a little baby as well. So I'd love to hear about your your personal experience and also what you've seen as a therapist.
1: I think for me personally, I believe the most important part of a relationship is having two individuals come together who want to be together, not who feel like they need to be together or they're stuck. And a really important part of that is individuals. We're coming to this as people who all bring this complicated set of beliefs, values, ideas, history. And I think it's important in a relationship to be able to maintain that, maintain your sense of self, maintain your beliefs, not necessarily morph together and become the same person or agree on anything, on everything. We should agree on a couple of things or spend all our time together. I think For me, it's really important that folks get to remember that they're individuals and there is so much more to them than just a relationship. I think it can get dangerous sometimes, particularly as we shelter in place here in California with folks feeling like they have to get everything from their partner or they have to be everything for their partner or do everything with their partner. I don't think that's what this was, that's what we were ever supposed to be. Esther Perel writes a lot about this for folks who I know have heard about her. The fact that we just shouldn't be in a position where we expect everything from the other person. And I take it a step further and say, like, I want each of us in a relationship to be the best people we can be and understand how that impacts the relationship. There's obviously, like, a whole lot of other fun components. Um, Communication and actually also having shared interests and doing things together and having a shared vision for the future and feeling like we're going the right way or doing the right things or deciding, like... Is this a long term relationship or is this something we're enjoying right now and we get to keep doing it? How important is sex? How important is exercise? All those fun things. Um, but I think once you come from this basis of having two phenomenal individuals and believing that you're each two phenomenal individuals, it creates this really like rich, fertile environment to grow beautiful things. Mm. For everyone listening at home, Natalie and I had a couple of technical difficulties. <laughs> and I'm just saying, like, I think this is a beautiful metaphor for relationships. Right, if we expect to go in and everything to be perfect and smooth, then obviously we're going to be disappointed. But if we come into this acknowledging that the other person is a phenomenal human who probably has a couple of flaws, then it just probably. makes it just, like you just know, a
0: couple. Some, some sure people are perfect, but
1: <laughs> then it creates such this like beautiful environment to be like, obviously, you're not perfect, you should never expect that of yourself. I certainly never expected of you. But how can I help? Like, how can we be the best people we want to be in this relationship?
0: Right. So there's something about acknowledging the individual that comes together, the two individuals that come together in a relationship. I'm curious about your experience being in a relationship for a few years before you decided you want to be a therapist and you went to grad school and how being in grad school to become a therapist impacted your romantic relationship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like I want to add one more thing, just yes. in the interest of acknowledging that we this doesn't have to be a heteronormative discussion. I say two individuals because primarily the couples that I work with are individuals, sorry, are in a couple relationship, but there are so many models of relationships. And when I say individuals, I usually am referring to two, but it can be multiple individuals with multiple different backgrounds. There are different models of relationships and we should acknowledge that as well just wanted to put that out there
0: thanks for acknowledging the diversity as well
1: yeah no way it's 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 fun to get to have so many different people and think about different ways to do things so you asked about kind of my journey to get here uh I came to this profession being most interested in being a sex therapist I've always been that person that people wanted to talk about things with and ask questions to and explore, you know, like how we think about the world and how we have interactions. I really love difficult conversations. (laughs) And people always, you know, from a young age kind of seem to trust me and seem to gravitate toward me to ask these questions. And full disclosure, I didn't always know any of the answers. These weren't necessarily experiences that I understood or had personal experience with, um, but it just always stuck out to me that people wanted to talk to me about sex and sexuality. And that was kind of my first lens to thinking about therapy. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, hang on, hold up. Before we get into sex, I feel like for me, it would make more sense to go through relationship therapy and talking to folks about what that looks like, how to be in relationship, not necessarily always putting sex, you know, on a pedestal at the front. And then the more I thought about that, I was like, well, far out. I should probably learn to work with individuals before I work with couples. Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of been my journey to deciding Mm -hmm. that I wanted to be a therapist Mm -hmm. finding myself in San Francisco and I feel like I'm so lucky now that the way my my career has gone when I was working a lot um particularly with gay men so much about it and drugs so much about it was about sex and now I've ended up in this place where like sex and drugs and couples really are the main things that I get to talk with folks about in Mm -hmm. session uh in terms of what happened in my relationship when I went to grad school, I was so lucky that my partner was incredibly supportive of me going into this process. And I feel like I really didn't know what I was getting myself into going to grad school. Going into grad school and having this opportunity to really like examine who I am and how I came to be and how to really support people discovering those things for themselves as well was was a lot more than I think I expected. And all of a sudden I was learning this whole new language about how to talk about things, how to explore things, how to ask for things that I needed. And it put a lot of pressure on my relationship because my partner wasn't going through that experience. And all of a sudden I would come home and have this whole new vocabulary and whole new lens for seeing things. And I don't think at the time that I really understood that I needed to get my partner up to scratch. Mm -hmm. So it almost wasn't fair Mm -hmm. I was walking in the door with, quite literally a new language in some ways, and then feeling frustrated because they weren't on the same page as me.
0: I can relate to that. Um, What would be a a story that you remember? Maybe one night that you came home from grad school where you you have your new therapist vocabulary or therapist interpersonal skills that you've been practicing and you came home and your partner, because um, he's not not in the same training, uh, kind of Missed the mark, and maybe it was frustrating, or or it, there was something that was a little bit challenging and you had to navigate.
1: I mean, honestly, the idea of there being one night where that happened is funny. <laughs> <Because laughs> like it got to a point where it was happening every week. I don't even feel like I have one specific example, but what I, what comes to mind when I think about it, what comes to mind when I think about it, is just that feeling, and in therapy we call it like a therapeutic miss. Mm. and just feeling like there were so many opportunities for us to connect and instead I felt like I was bringing my whole self and being really raw and vulnerable and there and he was just looking at me like, huh? mm. oh, I'm mm. not sure what you want, I'm not sure what to say, I, I don't know where to go from here and I just remember a lot of it unfortunately in those final years of grad school of that feeling of just like, holy guacamole, I don't know that my partner gets me or sees me. And like, what am I doing? And it took a really long time for me to realize that what was going on was just that all of a sudden we were kind of on a different plane. And it was unfair of me to expect that he would just be there, catch up and be on the same level as me because I'd gone through this really intense experience. I think I liken it to... If one member of the couple has, in the in the context of the relationship, this really transformational personal experience, whether it's a vacation or, you know, the death of somebody close to you, or sometimes it might be an experience with substances, maybe it's a really intense acid trip, and goes through and shifts slightly. And it's unfair to expect your partner to just be like, oh, yeah, I wasn't there, but I totally get your experience. We do have to bring them up to scratch. We do have to sit them down and explain to them and help them get there. And I think what was happening for me during grad school was that I didn't have the patience to let my partner get there or to wait for them to catch up or to sit and explain to them what, what I was going through and teach them what I was learning. And that's where that mismatch occurred. And the big question is like, so now what? We're at this impasse where in many ways, I'm a different person or I have this whole new side of my life and my world opened up and like, what do we do? So for a little bit, we went to to couples therapy and I got to be honest, that was incredibly frustrating for me because I was working as a couples therapist. I was teaching Uh couples therapy and then I felt like I was sitting here watching my partner be taught about couples therapy and I was like what am I doing like I have so much that I need to be doing right now I don't want to sit here and watch you learn about this and really that is phenomenally unfair I think and I had to come to the understanding and the realization and I actually had one of the most formative experiences that I've had in therapy and our couples therapist turned to me and looked at me and said like you are really angry and it's not helping and you got to figure out how to deal with that. And I was like, I remember sitting there and being like, I'm not angry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Good to know.
0: <laughs> yeah, what were you what were you angry about? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, I was angry about the fact that I felt like I was doing all this work and that I didn't feel like my partner was. And this couples therapist looking at us and saying that gave me the opportunity to understand that I firstly was really angry because I don't think I could pick that for myself at that time. I feel like I'm better in touch with my emotions and understanding what's going on for me now. But also, just as an opportunity to say, your therapist is imperfect as well. They have flaws. They always don't necessarily know what's going on for them. And like, let's just normalize that for everybody. But I think I was angry and that was getting fueled by my unrealistic expectations that my partner was just going to catch up or understood what was going on for me. And so I really had to change my attitude, change my perspective and be like, huh, I just had this experience. There is no reason that you should have taken grad school with me. (laughs) Let's get to a point where you understand the things that I'm talking about. And honestly, it doesn't all have to come from me. You can go to therapy and start developing that language on your own. But if I really want this to work, I also have to take some responsibility.
0: What was the, the part that you took responsibility for that helped to shift things?
1: I think responsibility for the fact that I was changing. Mm -hmm. I was growing and I was learning. And that wasn't, it wasn't my partner's job to keep up all the time. And if I wanted to, I had to invite them on the journey and show them this new world rather than just turn around and be like, why aren't you here with me? That's unhelpful. So that's the anger. That's the um, just unrealistic expectations, really. We're not the same person. They're not going to be on the magic carpet with me all the time. And really, the opportunity, instead of being angry and pushing them away by saying, you should be here, why aren't you? I'm disappointed and hurt, but actually extending my hand and saying, like, you want to join me on this journey? Come on, step aboard. And I think also giving them the space to join me. And I feel like I talk to couples a lot about this. Like, what happens if instead of being frustrated, we give our partners the opportunity to step up? But really, like not just say we're going to do that. What does that really look like? And then if we're going to do that, we have to be really ready for the fact that it's probably not going to change overnight. They might not learn or grow or change as fast as our expectations. And this, again, comes back to that premise of realizing and believing that we're separate beings and we Mm -hmm. can't always be on the same page. And I have to respect your autonomy or I want to be in a place for me where I respect your autonomy and your individuality. And I can't take responsibility for that. But I can take responsibility to my patients in letting you come, come to the relationship and be the person you want to be.
0: So how did that shift happen? And, and what does it look like now after you've um, had experience in your own couples therapy?
1: So really, I think the formative part was that couples therapist looking at me and telling me that I had to realize that my anger was getting in the way. And then I had to go away and work on that. I had to acknowledge that. I had to think about it. And I had to come to my partner and actually invite him on the journey. Mm -hmm. And as we talk about this more, I'm remembering that a really big part of why it was so impactful to me to feel that miss or that drop when my partner didn't, I I felt like my partner didn't get what I was going through, was because that is my childhood experience. I kind of talked about at the beginning emotions, mental health. Nothing like that was talked about, in know, worlds, nothing like that was talked about in my house. Uh-huh. And so that is an experience that I remember really vividly feeling like I live with these people and they don't get me. There's so mm. much that I don't know how to talk about. I don't have the language for it, but I know there's something there. And I wish there was an opportunity to be able to talk about that more. And so that's why that feeling felt so serious to me. And felt like something that we really needed to confront and approach together. The feeling of, of being dropped or feeling like somebody didn't really get you or didn't understand what was going on. And I think that can that's be one, lonely. Really lonely. And I think that's one thing that we try and offer folks coming into the therapeutic space of saying, I don't necessarily know you. I don't know anything about you, particularly at the beginning, but I'm here to see you and to get you and to help you understand how to have that in other relationships in your lives.
0: Right. So the experience of being lonely, when we feel lonely or alone in our relationship, oh, because because we're not was. Yeah. And that can happen for a lot of reasons. It can happen if we have a maybe we've like we've had a growth experience and our partner hasn't. And, mm-hmm. and we see the world in a different way and our partner doesn't. So as a therapist, for a lot of us therapists, there's a different worldview because of the nature of our schooling and training and the pain that we sit with. Mm -hmm. Or it could be coming from a different culture and seeing the world differently and even coming from the same culture. So you you and your partner are both Jewish and there can still be misses, it sounds like.
1: And I think that's a huge thing. Also understanding that just because we come from the same background doesn't mean we're the same. It doesn't mean that we have the same experiences. It doesn't even necessarily mean that we use terms or phrases in the exact same way. And I think just constantly keeping that in mind of like, you know, it's one of the dangers in relationships of thinking that we know our partners, thoughts, beliefs, reactions, particularly in long term relationships where maybe you've been with somebody for years and years and maybe getting towards decades, just like really feeling like I know what they're going to say and not Mm -hmm. actually giving them the space to surprise you or to have their own thoughts.
0: How have you seen that in your relationship when you've gone through this experience of becoming a therapist? I definitely
1: felt like I know what you're going to say and sometimes not even having the patience to wait and let my partner say what he was going to (laughs) say. And that's not fair. Like, how dare I come to that and feel like I know you, I know your reaction, I know your response. Uh, That was somewhere where, like, I had to realize that I needed to give him quite literally, the space and the floor to be himself instead of making all these assumptions like, I know who you are, I know what you think about these things. Because people change. Like, I was going through this change. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: for some reason it was harder for me to give him the space to go through his own change. And I think that's also important is realizing the impact that going through a big change in your life can have on your partner. I think it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, you know, a physical or a spiritual transformation. It can be anything. Like what happens when our partner changes their relationship with substances? And we used mm-hmm. to go to the bar all the time and that was our thing. And all of a sudden my partner doesn't want to go to the bar all the time. On one hand, it puts a lot of pressure on your par- on, on you to want to support your partner through their change. But I think it's also really important to acknowledge that you're making changes in your life because your partner's making change. Um, so I have a one-year-old now. I had a kid about a year ago, which means I got pregnant a year plus nine months ago. And I think it was when my partner was taking some paternity leave for himself. And it was at the end of my maternity leave for him to have some an opportunity to be with um, our daughter. And the impact that had on him, and I remember him coming back and being like, I just feel like I'm finally understanding and realizing what an impact and what a change this was going to have on our lives and I feel like that could have been a beautiful conversation Mm -hmm. and I just felt this intense anger of like you have got to be kidding me Mm -hmm. so long ago I had to understand what this impact was going to be and I had to undertake all that change whether it was the physical change that was going on the spiritual and emotional change that I was experiencing the birth You know, those first few months I was breastfeeding and really being the primary caregiver in that way. And then to turn around and realize like, oh my goodness, all this privilege in the fact that you never had to think about those things until now. Mm. I had that same like fury response come up for me. A feeling like, are you actually kidding me? I had to deal with this so long ago. And that was a place where I had to practice some patience and realize that we had different experiences. And sure, theoretically, they knew what it was going to be like for me to go through this physical experience. But the truth is, it was totally different. And it was an opportunity there for us to have a conversation. But only after I'd stepped away and dealt with the fact that I was furious about this and explored it for myself. I think that's another really big tip that I'd give. It's not useful most of the time to have experience, to have interactions when we're angry. Yeah. Not a lot of good comes out of it. When we're mad, literally we are flooded with so many feelings and emotions that we can't take in new information. So I always encourage folks to like take a beat, step away, think about what's going on for you, and then let's come back and have the conversation.
0: Being angry is not fun when we we ourselves are experiencing it. It's not fun for the person who's on the other end of it. However, anger is an important emotion. It's natural and it's there for a reason.
1: And one of the things with a signpost. Yeah, it tells you something's going on and I've got to deal with it. Being angry is not a problem.
0: Right. Yeah. So I don't blame you at all. And actually that experience is something I'm I'm not a mom. And I've actually had this the conversation that you're sharing, I've had that in my head already with my my future potential partner if I decide to have kids about Will he understand, or seek to understand, and realize the big sacrifice that it would be to be a mom? And I don't know if "sacrifice" is the right word. Oh, why not? Yeah, I've 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 thought about that of the the way that it's going to change my body and the the suffering sacrifice.
1: I mean, it's not futile. Like great Mm -hmm. things can come from it, but it's still a massive change. Yeah, it's parts of yourself on hold, like. Gosh, even planning for the future. I'm having conversations with friends now about should they, we're talking about a COVID vaccine, and they were hoping to get pregnant soon, should they get pregnant ASAP so that they can have the kid and then have the vaccine? Or should they wait until they have the vaccine before they can think about getting pregnant? And all these things that affect so many different parts of our lives, what other parts of myself Get sacri- I mean, it changed the way I was able to show up for my work. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that I um, went full-time private practice this year. And it wasn't because, well, it was for a whole bunch of reasons. But one of the reasons absolutely was I used to have a private practice on the side and a full-time job. And I could no longer work a full-time and a half. Mm-hmm. Because I literally just didn't have the time anymore. And that was something that I'd done for years is it's not the big things that were hard. It was a lot of the small things, Mm. the mind frame shifts, the things that we have to think about now that were a little bit more complicated because the bigger things I felt like I knew we'd figure out. And it was all the small ways that showed up that I didn't quite expect.
0: Right. What were the things that you wouldn't have expected about being a parent and being a therapist who's a
1: mom? Um, the things that I wouldn't have expected, but that I've realized are the way the stories we tell our kids from the very beginning can impact them. So full Uh disclosure, I had a really long and complicated birth, (laughs) Uh but I didn't expect. And a couple Uh of weeks ago, I caught my partner saying to my, you know, one-year-old. So on one hand, she understands everything and is phenomenal. And is a tiny sponge, on the other hand, Pretty sure we say things to her all the time that she has no idea what they are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He said to her, Gosh, your mom went through hell to get you here. Mm. And I turned around and was like, Uh oh, (laughs) that's not a message that we're Uh giving our kids. And realizing that that's a message that I was given as a kid because my mom had a really long and complicated birth. And it doesn't help you to feel like you're a burden or you've done something wrong, that you know. You completely can't control, and yet these are the stories that we carry with us through our lives and impact us in little ways that we don't necessarily understand. And just to kind of shine light on what I mean by that example, when you were talking at the beginning about uh, how no one's ever described me as quiet, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and yet one of the messages that I carried with me at times through my life was feeling like I was too much. Mm. And I think that message about, you know, it was really hard to get you into the world, really mm-hmm. hard to you, comes into that message of feeling like you're too much. You are too much work. There's a lot of you and it's hard to hold. And I feel like that is the ways in which that I've started to understand now how the messages we give our kids can impact them and how being a therapist and being acutely aware of what might be going on for folks emotionally comes up in different ways now as a mother
0: wow yeah so as a therapist and as a mom Hmm. you are paying attention to the power of words and the power of stories the stories that we might say flippantly if we weren't aware just oh yeah it was the birth was hard as a therapist you're aware that the messages that you tell your daughter is going to impact it's going to start weaving the storyline that she
1: tells herself about her life And about who she is and her value and place in the world, for better and worse, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things are just so complicated and fraught. And I feel like, you know, I'm giving examples about my daughter, but I feel like that awareness comes into all relationships, Mm. you know, just thinking about how we talk to people, our choice of words, and that can be a heavy burden sometimes. You know, the other side of that, I feel like as a therapist is people are always looking to me being like, you know, I want to know your thoughts. What is your opinion on this? And you're nodding. (laughs) Natalie, (laughs) like might have had this experience as well. And my usual joke answer is like, oh, I'm not your therapist unless you're paying me. So goes really (laughs) well, but there is this funny burden of maybe, you know, in some ways I feel like, yes, everything that I learn and have as a therapist weaves its way through my life and makes up who I am. And in the other ways, like I have so many different identities and pieces to my identity, and they're not all wrapped up in necessarily being a therapist. We can't forget what we know, and yet we have to just be really realistic about where things are coming into our lives and where we get to be like, no, I don't always have to be the one that holds the space for everybody. You were kind of describing that earlier. I don't have to be the one that is constantly aware of what is going on for everybody else. Because the fact is, uh, that role is exhausting. And it's too much, and it can be really hard to put down sometimes. Absolutely, yeah, and that's where I guess it comes into my my relationship with my partner as well. Of feeling like, hang on, I can't always be the person in the room that is being so acutely aware of the emotional space.
0: I know we're wrapping up on our on our time today. You got into the field because you saw how a great relationship can work, and you wanted to bring more of that love into the world and help people. And so I'm wondering on that theme of what has been the biggest tip about connecting to your partner when you feel like you're not being understood or if you feel alone because your partner's not getting it?
1: My biggest tip is fighting the urge to turn away and instead turning toward them. So turning toward yourself and turning toward your partner and sharing with them that this is going on. Because if they are the sort of partner that you want to be with, then they'll have the patience to hear you. They might not have the answer immediately or be able to change or solve it immediately. But if they're the person that you want to be with, give them the opportunity to step up and give them the opportunity to learn more about you in the process. That would be my biggest tip. I think this is purely from personal experience. It was my response to all this was being like, you don't get me, you you don't understand me and wanting to leave.
0: You wanting to leave. There was an urge. There was an urge to step away or turn away from
1: your partner. Step away, turn away. Just be like, "This is what I know how to do. I know how to be a strong, independent woman. I don't need anybody else." And ultimately, that wasn't particularly helpful. And my partner could see what I was going through. Mm-hmm. So and your partner surprised you when I actually turned around and listened to him. But if we're not in the headspace to turn around and listen, and and maybe that's what I was referring to as well before with the anger piece. If we can't hear what the other person is saying, then there is no point having those discussions. But you have to be able to slow down and absorb what is going on for the other person. And so I think that would be my biggest tip. Mm, that's amazing.
0: You're Thank very you kind. <laughs> so much. that That's really helpful.
1: I mean, I want to say, well, it's really difficult. It's like a huge urge to just be like, I'm out. This mm-hmm. isn't working. And it's really okay to say, I need to go right now for this minute, I can't be here. But before you say I'm out, it's over. Give them a chance. Mm. But really like radically give them a chance. Don't just say it. One thing, unfortunately, that I see too often, you asked us how this comes in as a therapist, is couples coming in and telling me this is our last ditch attempt to to save the relationship. And I got to tell you, there's not a lot I can do in one session.
0: What does it mean to radically give someone a chance and listen?
1: I think. The beginning of that, the radical piece is stopping yourself and asking yourself, like, what would it look like to really give them a chance? Like, what does that mean? Because it doesn't mean just say, like, crossing your arms and sitting down with a hump and saying, like, I'm going to listen to you right now. Because that's not really listening to them. It's really leaving your own stuff at the door, stepping in and saying, I want to give you a chance. I'm not going to interject. I'm not going to apply any judgment. I just want to hear your perspective on this and doing it fully, not just saying we're doing it. Because I think I see a lot of folks who, you know, that's why that example came up of like coming into therapy with their arms crossed and being like, what can you do in 50 minutes? Like (laughs) if you're not actually open to it, nothing's going to happen. So the radically giving them a chance is really and truly going there a hundred percent saying, I want to hear you out. Not I've already made up my decision and I'm doing this." so I can say I've done it
0: right and so when you give someone a chance truly Mm -hmm. how do you check your own uh anger ego or if it's like oh my partner's saying the wrong thing my partner's not understanding me Mm -hmm. how do we how do we check the judgment at the door to listen to our partner even if they're saying what we perceive to be the wrong thing or they're actually, we feel that they're not understanding us? How do we find that patience and openness?
1: (sighs) The first thing is knowing yourself and being okay with yourself. And maybe saying, being able to say to yourself, I use a lot of self-talk with my clients and with myself, being able to say like, I'm noticing that I'm being, I'm feeling angry. It's like an act, acceptance and commitment therapy model. Noticing that you're angry and saying that anger has a place and it's not right here. And so being honest with yourself about the feelings that are coming up And being able to say, not now, not today, Satan, not right now, Mm -hmm. give you a little chance and really look at your partner and say like, I've been frustrated lately and I don't want to get frustrated today. Give yourself some accountability, own what's going on for you and then say to them, you know, maybe you need to say to them, like, if you notice me interjecting or looking like I'm getting pissed off, then call me out, Mm -hmm. call me out, help me do this so I can fully listen and hear you.
0: Mm-hmm. So asking your partner to help you notice, mm-hmm. oh, I'm getting upset right now.
1: And this is shutting down the conversation because I'm upset. I mean, there might be other people have all different ways that work for them. Maybe you make a list of all the reactions. And if you notice yourself having one of those reactions, then you've got it written down in front of you and you can cross it off and be like, nope, I'm not going to do that. I want this to be different. But I think really doing that soul searching and knowing yourself yourself. I talk, with a lot, I talk a lot with my clients about being able to be honest with themselves about what's going on because just like I had that experience where someone external had to point out to me like, you're pretty angry. We have to be able to know ourselves what's going on for you and this is nice maybe because it goes back to exactly what we were saying at the beginning, remembering that we're two individuals in a relationship mm. and really being able to understand and know who you are and how that impacts the relationship or your partner. Is going to change the game on how you come to conversations.
0: That that's such a good reminder. It's there's such a temptation to to want to blend with our partners and to it's, it's part it's natural we want to become one. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh my god! Particularly those that beginning bit where you just want to stare into mm-hmm. each other's eyes, <laughs> do everything they want to do. Mm-hmm. But what happens when we get past that?
0: Yeah. So I think there's so much wisdom today on the topic of what happens. When we don't feel understood by our partners, how do we tolerate what comes up, whether that's anger, sadness, feelings of being alone, loneliness in a relationship that can happen. It's not just loneliness doesn't just happen when we're single. It can we can feel there's almost a, there's an even more profound loneliness that can happen when we don't feel understood by the closest person theoretically Mm -hmm. or physically the closest person that is in our life we can feel alone. And I really appreciate some of the tips that are so useful in sitting with our partners when there's a mismatch or when there's a miss, when we feel missed. Thank you so much, Leora. There's so much, so much in you. And I really appreciate this today.
1: Oh my and. gosh, Natalie, I think the world of you, I didn't get a chance. I mean, I feel like I thanked you for all the beautiful things you said at the beginning, but I didn't get a chance to shower you with compliments of my own for everybody listening to this podcast. You should know that Natalie is one of the most phenomenal humans. And I hope you have the opportunity to get to know her more one day. Um keep listening. She's got amazing things to share. Thanks so much for listening.
0: I think we have been really lucky to get an insider's look into a therapist's personal life and not only learn from her clinical experience, but also get a real-life, down-to-earth perspective. What really strikes me about my conversation with Leora is the reminder that we often forget in relationships that we are different people than our partners and that this is perfectly okay, it's a fact of life, and it can be a good thing. And there's also a lot we can do even when we do have differences. I also learned that it's important that we really truly give our partners the opportunity to step it up. And one of the ways to do that is that we can make sure that we're not just going through the motions with our partners in our discussions with them. If you'd like to connect with Leora, you can find her at www.leoralerba.com. dot com. If you'd like to reach her directly, feel free to email Leora. Her email is therapy at LeoraLerba.com. And if you're interested in working with her, she offers a free therapy consultation. This has been really awesome. And feel free to follow me on Instagram at Relationship Podcast. And if you found this to be insightful and you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcast and share this with someone that you think can benefit from hearing it. This is Natalie Bloom, excited to continue the conversation with you and remembering that through awareness comes connection. hope you had a great time listening. Again, just a friendly reminder that the podcast is for informational purposes only. Relationship University is not intended to be a substitute for psychological, psychiatric, or medical advice, or diagnosis and treatment, or actual psychotherapy with a therapist or psychologist. If you're desiring or needing mental health support, please seek the advice of your medical provider or other qualified mental health professionals. If you think this may be a mental health emergency, please call your doctor or 911 immediately or go to your local emergency room. Life can be challenging sometimes and everyone goes through tough things. And I hope you're seeking professional support from your own personal therapist if that's something that you think would be beneficial to your life. I appreciate your time to listen to this and take care.